0: It was the first meeting for the new college president. He wanted it to go well. He rehearsed the mission and vision of the institution. It seemed to him it got off to a pretty good start. He was pleased. Walked into the office of the CFO after that initial meeting. And the CFO, the chief financial officer, looked at him and says, Remember, this is in August as the school year starts. He looks at the new president and says, you know, this place is insolvent and we're going to have to close by next August. You do know that, do you not? He had been very enthusiastic with his team and his staff. So was the start of Dr. Everett Piper at Oklahoma Western University several years ago, and God used him to turn the calculus around, but that was quite a start. Day one, and he had some sense of it well before he got to day one. <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, the CFO wanted to make sure it was very self-evident that uh, the place was teetering on disaster. The place was broke comprehensively when he got there. That's quite a way to get started as a new president. Day one, Jesus Christ was birthed into a mess by all standards of measure. While Christ was not briefed on impending doom at birth, it was not any less true. Humanity was in peril of its own doing. But then came heaven. Jesus Christ was birthed into a mess that humanity had made of life. Humanity was broke and getting desperate for a way out of the mess, a way forward to hope and life into these dark streets shineth the everlasting life in the birth of Jesus Christ. If you feel like the world is broken, if you feel like your life is fractured, if you feel like your future is broken because of a past that is fractured, welcome to Christmas where we celebrate the birth of a Savior whose coming changed everything. Maybe heading into 2023, You feel like you are sitting on a pile of brokenness. I'm glad that you are here. You are going to be encouraged. This morning is for you and isn't Christmas for everyone who will receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Come with me to Malachi, the last voice in the Old Testament, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This morning, I want to identify just what makes Christmas a big deal. That's point one. And secondly, I want to explain how Christmas addresses our dilemma. So first, the dilemma. Second, how Christmas addresses the dilemma that we face That's our plan of attack on this Christmas morning. What a privilege is mine today to preach the word of God to you. What's the dilemma? Everything is broken, and we cannot fix our brokenness. There are two elements of concern when we consider Christmas and this moment in our world. First, everything is broken. Our politics are broken, famously broken. Our governance is broken, famously broken. Take legislation that's been passed in the last two weeks, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, which embedded in federal law the equivalence of God's ideal, one man, one woman for life and marriage, with the social construct that we've come up with, same-sex unions. I read a tweet that said that law was the equivalent of the federal government sticking their middle finger in the air at God. We're morally broken. We've lost our way. We're fiscally broken. A $1.7 trillion omnibus bill. By the way, this is not a political message. Just, Just think of brokenness. We used to do budgets. You know we don't do budgets anymore. We wait till we're butted up against, we're gonna default against all of our debt. And at the last minute, uh, passed a 4,600-page omnibus bill, $1.7 trillion, that some uh, group of uh, bureaucrats have written ahead of time and premeditated, and it's passed with no debate at the eleventh hour. Is this how our founding fathers conceived of governance? Our our governance is broken. Our families are broken the nuclear family, designed by God to be the basic structure of society, to give the next generation a future and a hope, it's it's in the midst of an extraordinary attack. In 1965, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, an Irishman from New York, put together this comprehensive study on his concern for the trajectory of the black family in America. That was 1965. He was deeply concerned about what would lead to generational poverty and tragedy if the family was blown up. Well, if that was Moynihan in 65, what kind of shape are we in today? And it's not the Appalachian family across Appalachia is no different than the black family in terms of tragic family decomposition that has led to generation after generation of children growing up without the security of that home that God had designed all along. Talk about gospel families. Um, The open secret is in gospel churches some of the rates for families busting up begin to mimic cultural lines it's why I'm so encouraged this is a sidebar advertisement sorry can't help it so encouraged with Doug and Pam duty's offering of the marriage refresher class coming up in our winter spring semester of Calvary University our families are broken and it's affecting our society I've had wives tell me before Eric, I can't fix my husband. Now, by the way, wives were never designed by God to be the fixer, of the husband, but we all knew what she was saying in terms of the anguish and the cry for the formation of character that would bring leadership in the home that would honor our Lord, families, education. Isn't it true that education is broken? I mean, we... we Look at our test scores, the national averages, what's going on. We're not getting ahead. It's interesting to look at American students in public education compared to European students, uh, where we stack up in the world educationally, notwithstanding the thunderous funding that is given to it. Take poverty. On January the 8th, 1964, President Johnson declared war on poverty. $25 trillion later? Some argue we have as much poverty now as we did then. Oh, but Eric, there, there's hope for the CDC doing something right. Well, the CDC has offered all kinds of solutions for a tragic public health issue in sexually transmitted diseases. And we've thrown the budget at it and all of our best thinking from the CDC at it. And especially after the pandemic, we are at tragic infection levels that are extraordinary, not seen before. There's a great movement of criminal justice reform. And we need to look at just measures to face crime. But how is that criminal justice reform movement playing in our major cities right now? Some are arguing civility is broken as well. You can't watch the Oscars without seeing incivility and a slap in the middle of the whole thing. And yet some are not surprised by this, saying it was just fermenting all along in the culture, and this anger has come out. Everything is broken. Now, here's the bad part. We can't fix our brokenness. We can't fix it. Our solutions are making it worse. You're no longer considered a pessimist to say, you know what? I think something is not going well. Now, at this point, and intentionally I brought you here, you ought to be saying to yourself, Mounts, what in the world are you doing? It's Christmas morning. Give us some joy and peace and goodwill. Cheer us up. Enter Christmas. Malachi 4, 1 and 2. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Hear the word of the Lord. Then came heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christmas set about fixing everything that is broken. The advent of Jesus Christ started a revolution of hope, a revolution of life, a revolution of healing, really, joy to the world in the coming of Jesus Christ. Our Lord, let me explain how Christmas addresses our dilemma. Remember, everything is broken and we cannot fix our brokenness. There are at least three ways that Christmas fixes our brokenness. First, Christmas brought the dawning of a whole new age for humanity. For behold, the day is coming. 400 years before the birth of Jesus, this Jewish prophet anticipated the coming of a great day. And that great day got its start, very modest start, in Bethlehem with the birth of Jesus Christ. But it was a new day. And Malachi pictures it. An epic peak described when this day will come to its fullness. But before we ever could get to the fullness of this great coming day of the Lord, it had to start with a humble birth in Bethlehem. Malachi argues that a new day would dawn. This is his metaphor. The beginning of a day. A new day would dawn. And the image that he uses, and look look at this picture, and you've seen the sunrise before. The sun comes up, its rays extending throughout the horizon. The promise of a new day. Did you watch the sun come up this morning? Did you see the rainbow with the sun? Very unusual with the moisture in the air. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. A day of promise. A brand new day. Day marking the inauguration of something new. Now 2021 is said by the astrologists to be the beginning of the age of Aquarius. In June of 1969, 50,000 young people gathered in Denver for the Denver Rock Festival. In August of 69, in western New York, over four days, 500,000 young people gathered for Woodstock. These two events gave rise to a sense that something is happening. And so the Fifth Dimension group wrote a song and stepped into the moment called The Age of Aquarius. Aquarius. And it was an astrological Jeremy ad where now all the planets have lined up. Something's going on. A new day is dawning. It's the age of Aquarius. Now, they released the song in 1970, I believe. But um, the age of Aquarius was not supposed to start till 2021. You know, I, I guess they were announcing it 51 years ahead of time. But anyway, the, the song got some play. It was a crazy astrological notion, but there's nothing crazy or astrological, although was there not an astrological phenomenon with the star, with the coming of Jesus Christ and a new age dawned then and ensues to today. Christmas brought the dawning of a new age, the advent of Jesus Christ our Lord. A Savior savior has been born. Good news of great joy for all people. A Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. Notice the promise of a Savior in his birth. There's an English expression that we use. Hey, this is a whole new day. Well, that could have been coined at Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem started a whole new day for God's work among humanity. Now how many of you, I don't either, but how many of you remember differential geometry? There is a phrase that is seeping into vernacular speech and how we talk to each other. Uh, It's seeping into talking heads now on TV as they reflect upon social movements and what's going on. It's the phrase inflection point. You might hear uh, what appears to you to be a sophisticated intellectual say, well, we've reached an inflection point at this point. You say, what the world's of an inflection point? Well, the term comes from differential geometry and working out equations on an x-y graph and when Eight, and This is about all, you know, this is all I got. I don't even understand what I'm saying. <laughs> when what you are following changes in its arc and course, and it changes its sign because of its plot on the graph, that is noted as an inflection point. And so now this... Uh, By the way, I'm sure those talking heads have no idea about differential geometry either. Uh, And I'm sure there's some really smart people who know a lot about differential geometry here this morning. Yeah, yes, there's one pointed out just now. It's a signal of a major change. The most extraordinary inflection point in all of history came in Bethlehem in Jesus' birth. A new day dawned. We had proved to ourselves through thousands of years that we were really good at gumming up the life that God always intended for us to have. Through our indulgence and through our sinfulness and through generational sowing and reaping, we tied ourselves into a huge knot. What an inflection point when God stepped into history to deliver us and to save us. And according to Malachi, his rise brought healing, hope, and healing. So let's go there next. The second way that Christmas addresses our brokenness is this. Christmas opened a great fountain of healing mercies. It opened a great fountain of healing mercies. Let's go back to the picture. Now, the wings of the sun are a historic allusion to the rays of the sun going out. As if the sun had wings that would cover all the earth. Notice how open-handed God is with his day to be brought to bring healing to all of the brokenness of the earth through his son, Jesus Christ. And everyone who owns him as their savior comes in to this trajectory where we are going back to the new heavens and the new earth when Christ will restore all things. He is raised with healing in his wings. What is brought by the incarnation is great healing. It's reminiscent and it brings us back to, he will cover you with his pinions, feathers, and under his wings, you will find shelter. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Psalm 91, four. But refuge from what? From the brokenness of our world and of ourselves. There's a little village out in the middle of nowhere in Romania called Skorzenetse. Skorzenetse is the ancestral home of Nikolai Ceaușescu. And there's two stories to be told from that little community. One story is the carnage that for one generation, Ceaușescu brought to Romania until 89 when they overthrew him. Actually shot him in the public square. He had destroyed Romania with his power, with his ruthlessness. His commitment to communism had sucked every bit of life. His commitment to socialism had sucked every bit of life out of the culture. There was hardly anything left. But freedom, and since 89, has given Romania a new day. In that little village, Skorzenitsy is known as his home. The advent of Nikolai Ceaușescu has left a black mark over the community. But in the middle of that community, there is another mark being left. Because in socialism, the basic services that help life to function are non-existent. There's no water in this little village. But God birthed a group of Christ followers there who loved their little village and desired to do anything they could to reach for them. So they drilled a well and they put a spigot in the middle of a cement cross in front of their property. And if you sit there on the bench and watch it, you can see it time and again every morning. From every little humble house is brought a vat for water. And one by one they go there. And the legacy of that group of Christ followers has left on that community is extraordinary. Now there are a million ways to serve Christ in a place and clean water is only one of them. But it's a glorious witness of the difference between one who would destroy, maim, and kill and one who would give life in the church of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 22, 2, John the Apostle paints a picture of what it's going to be like when God heals everything and makes all things new. In painting the picture, one of the trophies on the canvas is next to the river of life. There is the tree of life. whose fruit is ever-bearing in that day, brimming with vitality and life, and whose leaves are said to be for the healing of the nations. It's an interesting word. It's it's a word uh, from which we get our English word, therapy. It's as it were that That this ideal picture of God taking us back to Eden, taking us back to paradise will include this sustained healing mercy from him like a healing therapy from God for the wounds of this old broken world. When our children were growing up, Andy was manicuring houseplants that we had and one of which was an aloe plant. And so if... One of the kids would get a scrape or start to bleed, get a little wound. It's like, oh, go get a leaf. So we'd go break off a leaf, and we'd use the leaf of that aloe plant to squeeze that fluid out and rub on the wound for healing. By the way, this is interesting. This is the same word that's used of Esther in the Greek translation of Esther. Esther 2.12. Remember when uh, the king was going to pick a new queen? and he sent these candidates through uh, beauty school, uh, it's the same word. It, it, it's the word, in, in, in the English text, it's the word beautifying. Esther was beautified. Same word in Revelation 22:2 for the healing of the nations. For us to realize the beauty that God always intended for us to have, He sent Jesus to call us to the life that would bring us to such beauty. He sent Jesus to take our ashes and the results of our sin and heal those wounds and make us whole and give us a future and a hope risen with healing in his wings Bill Gaither wrote a chorus years ago, something beautiful, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. He takes our ugly mess, and I know this firsthand, our ugly mess of brokenness and the consequence of our sin, And he makes something beautiful out of it. He sends us to beauty school. Christmas is Jesus taking humanity's brokenness to beauty school. And healing us and making us beautiful. Now the third way in which Christmas addresses the limb of our brokenness is this. Christmas came to our world. And Jesus introduced the possibility of hope and joy. Remember Isaiah 53, 5. By his wounds we are, here's our word again, healed. That in the wounds of Calvary are what brings us to have our wounds mended. His wounds heal our wounds. Now, what's the results of this healing? Then if, he, if, if his day brings a rise of the sun of righteousness, a God kind of righteousness revealed in his son that makes us acceptable to God, and with it healing in his wings, what, what, what kind of healing? What would be the result of that? Malachi paints a picture of unfettered joy, but we don't appreciate it because we're too far off the farm. You have to be on the farm to appreciate the picture that he paints. You'd have to take care of calves before, and taking care of them through the last parts of February and March, if the mother calved a little early, and it was so cold you couldn't let them out, so they were pent up through all the Winter months waiting out spring and the emergence of pasture, and there they were monotonously, just like that zoo animal, caged up. But there came that day, and it's the funnest day ever when you could open the door and watch them try out their legs, and watch them run, and watch them jump, and watch them skip. You can almost hear them with glee. It's a glorious picture. That's what he talks about. This son of righteousness, which is rising with healing in his wings. What difference is this going to make? It will bring those who embrace this son of righteousness to extraordinary joy. But for those who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall indeed joy to the world what a picture of unburdened raw joy freedom wonder release the lord has come isaiah 61 which is that iconic passage that jesus turns to in luke 4 as he introduces his ministry the spirit of the lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor And he lists off several things that are going to characterize his ministry, one of which is to release the captives into freedom. And there's no freedom like the freedom from our sin, the freedom from the fear of death, the freedom from thinking that we are our own savior, the freedom of the thoughts of doom that we have in a world that can be broken and make no sense no Our God has a hold of the rudder of our lives and our histories. And he has given us a freedom to live that we could not have had he not sent his son. I'm really glad God brought Christmas. What is Christmas? Why does it matter to our broken world? Why should it matter to us? Last month, I got a call from a nurse. I love nurses. I've had to be served by them and benefited from their service. Some of the hardest work in nursing, it seems to me, in my opinion, is in oncology, cancer. Because along the way, you get next to patients and they die in oncology. And the call started, and I wasn't alert at first, but I, I thought, something is going on. And then she busted out crying. I said, what in the world's going on? And here's the story. Six-year-old, six-year-old little man back at Children's Hospital for another round of surgery. The cancer had so ravaged his jaw, his throat, his passage airway was threatened. It had eaten into the tissue in his head and taken out his eyes. He was blind. It was a last ditch effort to uh, keep that passage open so he could ingest some food. And while she was caring for this guileless six-year-old man, this little man sat up in bed and said, Do you think I'll ever see color again? And he asked those questions that a little man would ask in that circumstance. She totally lost it. The little man died a few days ago. So what's the preacher supposed to say? The nurse is hurting. I said, oh, dear nurse, I want you to know This is why God sent Jesus at Christmas. Because he comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. And there's no hope outside of the circle of Jesus. What are you supposed to say? Oh, shucks, that's too bad. Oh, but inside that circle of Jesus, there is great promise that all of this brokenness is going to be healed as the sun of righteousness day comes to full arc and the rays of that arc extend through the whole earth. Isn't it true? Or is it? That we need a little Christmas right now. Do you know, Angela? Lansbury was the first one ever to sing that song. We need a little Christmas right this very minute. She sung it in 1966 when Mamie debuted on Broadway. The piece was written for that song. Mamie was a story of a woman who had a son who lost her fortune in the crash of the stock market in 1929. And she decided one Christmas that to get out of the doldrums and the tragedy of this circumstance, what she would do was make a big deal out of Christmas. There's a line from that song that we've all heard. For I've grown a little leaner, grown a little colder, grown a little sadder, grown a little older. And I need a little angel sitting on my shoulder. I need a little Christmas now. Well, you may like that little ditty. I I don't mind it. It isn't true. We don't need a little Christmas. We need a lot of Christmas. And that's just exactly what God brought in Jesus Christ. Oh, the glory of this precious gift. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found. Oh, come. Let us adore him. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are this morning that you didn't leave us alone and it has made our joy to be exponential to realize that you sent Jesus to come and heal all of the wounds that we created beginning with the wound to our relationship that we destroyed in our sin but you ran after Saint Jesus what a savior what a lord father we hail this King Jesus who came. Father, I pray that you would work on every heart this morning. I pray that you would make our joy complete and full in this day by showing us afresh that Jesus came. And brought heaven to everyone who would receive it. Jesus came to heal the tragic wounds of this broken world. And sin's curse that we brought on upon our own existence. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.